born in South Bay. How are you guys? Happy New Year. Cool thing is, I'm going to give you permission to talk back, so when I say something that you appreciate, you can say amen, because when you say amen, I talk faster and we get to lunch quicker. Amen? Amen. Amen. My name is Tim Riley. I'm a pastor at a church in Sunnyvale. I am an evangelist to the Bay Area and a missionary to the world. God has called me to preach his gospel to those who don't know it and to those who do that need to be encouraged by it. And so I'm here to, uh, one, invite all of you personally to our compelled trainings that are going to start next Sunday night from 5 to 7. We're going to equip you on how to share your faith in an intentional, relational, and relatable way in your sphere of influence. And so I would encourage all of you, if you can make the time to pray through, hey, can I go do this? Should I go do this? They're providing a light dinner. They're going to have child care. They're, they're pulling out all the stops so you will come and be a part of this training over these five-ish weeks. And so thank you guys for having me. I just want to tell you a little bit about who I am so you'll trust me a little more. And so uh, I was born in 1980, don't judge me, and my dad was 44, my mom was 29, I was a little bit of a midlife crisis. And by the time I was 11 months of age, my parents had split. When I was three and a half years of age, my mom, who had part-time visitation rights, took me to Lincoln, Nebraska and put a note on the door in L.A. where she lived and said, I've taken Tim, you're never going to see him again, and my dad then spent the next several months trying to find me. Put me on a milk carton, and back in the day, we didn't have Twitter and Facebook, so we would put pictures of lost kids on milk cartons. And so I was one of the first kids ever on a milk carton. That's my claim to fame. 11 months later, I, my dad walked into the bedroom where I was and walked in with five FBI agents and said, Tim, we're, we're going to take you home. And I thought I had seen a ghost because my mom had told me that my dad had died. And so now I'm living with my dad, having a tough time kind of re-engaging in my old life. My mom goes to prison, and in that time, she attempts to kill herself. When I'm seven and a half years of age, my mom develops breast cancer. And so she starts to go through chemo, and she starts to deteriorate. When I was eight and a half years of age, my stepdad, who a godly man, loves the Lord, who didn't at the time, came and, and got me from the backyard playing basketball and said, Tim, uh, we got to take your mom to the hospital. So she, he took me to the hospital, or he took my mom and myself to the hospital, and for the very first time, I started to see other people that had been going through uh, the effects of chemo and what cancer was doing, and for the first time in my life, I realized how much my mom had deteriorated. I said to my mom right before I left, Mom, are you going to be okay? And she said, Yes, Tim, I'll be fine. My stepdad then took me to my dad's house. I fell asleep on his bed, and then in the morning, I woke up on my own bed. To a knock at the door from my stepdad and my mom's brother, who was an army brat who you only saw when something was up. And as soon as I saw him, I knew something was going on. My dad walks down the hall and he says, Tim, I'm very sorry, but your mom passed away last night. And to say that I was angry is a huge understatement. I was upset. I stopped eating. I stopped drinking. I was just in a terrible place when it came to, to wanting to live anymore because my mom was so important to me. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm not going to tell you all the bad stuff I did. It's online. Go ahead. Um, but I, I did some things, and, and while we were living in L.A., my dad came to me, and he said, Tim, you're either going to end up dead or in jail, and so I'm, we're going to move up to the South Bay. So we moved up here, and, and I, I, I got here. I didn't have any friends, but I'm somewhat extroverted, and so I got an opportunity to make friends. And so now I'm making these friends, and when I was 13 years of age, before I was going to start going to a new school, I had my first sexual experience, and it was incredibly awkward. 
And now I'm spending time in school and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm for the very first time, having these, these things called Christians come and talk to me. And to say that I was frustrated by the idea of a loving God is a complete understatement as well because I didn't like the idea that people would say that God was loving, that he cared for people. Because if that was true, he seemed evil. Because why would he let an eight-year-old lose the most important person in his life's life? Why would my mom no longer live and be around to love me and care for me? And so I started to argue with these Christians. And throughout high school, I actually talked three Christians out of their faith plus people in other faiths. And what I did, which a lot of us do, is I took all the different religions and I put them in a crockpot of religiosity. I started to tell people that, you know, all that stuff about Jesus is ridiculous, and I would argue with them, and I would start to see the things that were wrong with each religion and just go, they're all ridiculous. So then I end up going to... uh, I, I go to the, and if you're a young man, you haven't gone to your senior prom yet, don't do this. I went to my senior prom with one girl, and I left with another girl. This other girl that I left with, lo and behold, was a Christian, and she started inviting me to church, and I didn't want to go. Eventually, I started to go, and it was kind of cool, because the guy that would preach was a big guy, Portuguese, would hit the pulpit, was just fiery, and I would sit there and be like, you're ridiculous. You don't know what you're talking about. Every week, he was trying to build a rapport with me, so he'd walk up to me and be like, hey, Tim, how about that sports team? And I was like, yeah, okay. And so one day, he comes to me with the Bible, and he says, Tim, I know you don't believe in this, but how would you like to at least find out what you don't believe? And in my mind, the first thought I had was, oh, sweet, I'm going to talk this pastor out of his faith. What? And so I started to meet with him, and I started to ask tough questions to him, and he didn't really have great answers, but he cared for me, and he constantly led me back to what Scripture said about Jesus. He would constantly remind me of who Christ was. And I was dating this girl, and I really wanted this sweet car that I couldn't afford. My girlfriend's dad came to me, and he said, we'll lend you the money. So I bought this car. It was a sweet Supra, and I'm I'm a 19-year-old And six days after I bought the car, what do 19-year-olds do? I totaled it. You've heard the story. And so I totaled it six days after I bought it. And 19-year-olds don't really understand the difference between full coverage and liability. Yeah, I just had liability. And so now I owe the money back to my girlfriend's dad. And I'm paying rent because my dad had moved to Arizona. And so I can't afford both. (laughs) So my girlfriend's parents come to me and they say, Tim, we're going to let you come live with us. But every night we're going to pray over the meal and we're going to talk about who Jesus is. And I was like, okay. And so I would spend time in the house and I would disrespect those parents with their own daughter in their home. But at dinner, we would, you know, pray for the meal, have the meal, and then it would be taken away. And my girlfriend's dad and I would start to do business and we would start to talk. And it wasn't that he had amazing answers to questions. I didn't even throw questions at him like I did the pastor. It's that he lived out the gospel. It's that he cared enough for me not to just tell me about who Jesus was, but to live in such a way that I go, wow, he ain't lying. To look at him and look at all the things that he claims and goes, man, he's serious about this. Because when life gets hard, he falls to his knees and prays. And so God started to do a work in me. He started to woo me to himself through this family, even though I was nowhere near doing the social things, doing the moral things that Christians believe that we're supposed to do. So one day, my, girlfriend's, my girlfriend comes to me, and she goes, hey, um, I think we need to break up. <laughs> and I was like, well, that'd be really awkward to still live in the house. 
So I decided to move. And I'll spare the details, but basically in that day as I was packing the car, I got a call from an insurance place that was offering me a job. And so I took the job because while I was talking with the person, I got a phone call from my best friend that said, come live with us for free. And it was like a sitcom. It was ridiculous. I was like, all right, I guess I'll stay. And so now I'm staying up here, even though my plan was to move down to Southern California. And I still continued to go to church. And some of you are like, why? And some of you are like, I totally get that. But I would go to church during first service, not second service, because I didn't want to run into my ex-girlfriend. And I went because it was safe, because this pastor cared for me, and I didn't have much family. And so just for these people that were not just preaching the gospel, but living in such a way, there's something different about them. One day, June 13th, 2001, I was sitting in the back of the service, and I had my arms crossed like this. And the preacher, was, or the preacher was about to come up, but they were finishing worship. And while they were finishing, they were singing this song called Shout to the Lord. And, and the guy who was singing it was this sweaty black guy who led worship. And this hot blonde girl that was next to him, who I eventually ended up marrying. And while they were singing this song, in the middle of it, with all the arguing with God, with all the study and, and wrestling and, and thinking about all the things that Christians say and do, God met me right where he was, and he said, Tim, I've got you. Trust me. So I felt really warm. And I got up after, and I went and I talked to that hot blonde, and I said, Aaron, I don't exactly know what happened, but in the middle of that song, I felt really warm, and I felt like God put his arm around me, and she started to cry. And I was like, why are you crying? She said, you gave your life to Jesus. And I said, I did what now? (laughs) And so the next week, I got baptized. The very next day, I started a young adult ministry. Didn't know anything except for Jesus. And I just started to tell people about who my Lord is. I was working at an insurance place, and over four years, I got to share the gospel with 4,000 people. The best way, the easiest way to get that to happen is if God rescues your boss the first week. And so I was getting to share my faith with people that would come across my desk. And I'd like to say that I became a Christian, been a pastor for a long time. It's been awesome, and it hasn't. I married that beautiful girl, and and we got married in 03. And then in 05, we decided to move out of this area because every time we tried to bid on a house— In 05, we got outbid by $100,000. Can people testify to that? Do you remember that? Were any of you alive in 05? Just kidding. And so so my wife and I decided that we were going to move. And I don't like to name the place, but we moved out to the valley to a town right below hell. And we spent the next four years there. And in that time, I stopped going to church. I stopped loving my wife in a biblical way in the sense of laying down my life for her, caring for her. I wouldn't go to church, I didn't really have any good friends, and I gained about 65 pounds, and I got addicted to porn. And I became a terrible husband. We started to have kids, I became a terrible father, and I became a terrible follower of Jesus. After four years, we had had enough, we decided, hey, we need to get out of here. So I called that same pastor who was leading worship, the same pastor who married my wife and I, and I said, brother, I need need out of here, we're thinking we need to come back to church, what's your current church like? And he said, just come check it out. And so we did. And, and I went a few times. And if you work with children's ministry, you need to hear this. When you have kids and your kids like the church, you're just going to end up going to that church. And so our kids liked it. And so I started to go. And the pastor came to me and he said, you know, we haven't had a young adult ministry in 20 years. How would you like to start one? And I said, without any prayer, just pride. Oh, yeah, I could totally do that. So then I started to build a team. And on October 11th of 2009, the day before the young adult ministry was supposed to start on a Sunday morning, going to preach a message, going to kind of do that whole thing, I went for a bike ride for two and a half hours. That's how I lost a lot of my weight. 
And I came back, and when I came back, I asked my wife, I said, hey, you put Reagan down for a nap. Where is she? My oldest, who was two and a half at the time. And she said, oh, yeah, she's still taking a nap. I'll go get her. She walks down the hall. And as she walks down the hall, she turns the corner, and she looks to where my daughter was laying, and all I hear from my wife is, ah! And from that, ah! I thought my daughter was dead. I ran down the hall, and as I ran down the hall, I turned the corner, and I saw my daughter underneath blankets convulsing. I grabbed the blanket, pulled it off, and her eyes were in the back of her head. She was choking on her own vomit. For the next 28 minutes of hell, I had to witness my daughter have a seizure in front of me. Eventually, the paramedics got her to stop. We went to the hospital. They started to give her tests, but she wouldn't talk. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't do anything. I was afraid my daughter was brain dead. That night, my mother-in-law brought me this Bible, and while we were sitting next to my daughter, not moving, my wife was asleep, I was sitting there deep into the morning, reading the book of Job, spelled like Job. And it's the story of this man who follows God, he's, he's a big supporter of the Lord, he, he does what the Lord says, he loves the Lord. And God and Satan have an argument. And Satan basically says, if you take away all the goodness in Job's life, he will not praise you. And God says, yeah, he will. Go ahead. Do, do what you need to do. You just cannot kill him. And so Job lost much of his family. He lost his crops. He lost the way of making money. He started to have sores on his body. And yet he still praised the Lord. And at 3.52 a.m. on October 12th, 2009, the morning before the young adult ministry was supposed to start, I prayed the hardest prayer I've ever prayed in my entire life after reading Job. I said, God, if you must take my firstborn, I trust your will. I trust that your will is right. I trust that you will be glorified in this. Man, as a parent, that's the hardest prayer to ever pray. God, your will be done. And so I prayed that, and then I read through Job again. The next morning came. My daughter didn't move, do anything, really. People started to come, bring us flowers and stuffed animals. And what was weird was the young adult ministry started without me. And I started to realize, God doesn't need me. And the young adult ministry started, it went fine. But my daughter wasn't moving, and I did not care what else was going on. I cared about what was happening to my two-and-a-half-year-old. And so the next day, they let us take her home, even though she hadn't moved, done anything, eaten. They said, hopefully she'll snap out of it. I was like, thanks. And so we went home, and we let her sleep in the bed between us, and we woke up at 7 a.m. the next morning to Reagan, my two-and-a-half-year-old, jumping up and down on the bed. She said, my sister Lorelai's crying, and she runs down the hall. She sees stuffed animals and flowers and food, and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, is it my birthday? And it's like it never happened to her. She doesn't remember. She just knows the story that I tell but she doesn't remember the hospital at all. So needless to say, God got my attention. I started to serve him. I came to know Jesus through sitting down with someone and teaching them about what the word says, helping them have answers to their questions because I don't believe there should be any answer that stands between us and Jesus, amen? And so that's why Compelled exists. And so God got my attention. I started to study with people. I started to explain to them what, what the Bible's about, how it was put together, what it means and I was sitting with about 13 people separately. And on June 1st of 2010, I got a phone call from a police officer from a Phoenix area code. 
He said, is this Tim Riley? I said, yes. He goes, what's your relationship to Mike Riley? I said, well, he's my father. He said, I'm very sorry to let you know, but we found him dead on his bathroom floor. Now, I spent time with my dad a year before telling him about who Jesus is. And my dad put his hand out and he said, Tim, I don't want to believe. And so in that moment, if I'm really being honest with you guys, I was pissed. I was sad because now both of my parents are gone. No one was there when I was first born. A part of me died in that moment. And I wanted to just bag it and give up this whole Christianity thing. And for four seconds, I was about to just blasphemy his name. And God met me right where I was. He put his arm around me. He said, Tim, I've still got you. Trust me. I gave you a gift. Follow me. Let others know about who I am. And so since June 1st of 2010, I just haven't shut up about Jesus. I get this opportunity to share and tell you guys about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's accomplished. I get to do it individually. I get to do it through the compel trainings and equip and let you feel good about, hey, how can I share it in a non-awkward way? Because to be honest, Christians are awkward. It's true. Evangelism has become awkward. And so I want to help redeem that. Because I believe that God wants us to go and share the greatest news that's ever happened through his son's death and resurrection. Amen? We're going to jump in God's word. I believe that's the best place to preach from. And so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your own Bible, feel free to go to this text. It's in the New Testament. It's to the right in your Bible. If not, it'll be up there. And Paul writes this. Now, Paul is the apostle who was killing Christians, ran into Jesus after his resurrection, and then started to trust him and tell others about him. He switched teams. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and Corinth was a church that when it started, it was exploding. People were coming to know the Lord. They were in love with him. They were serving. Very similar to this church. But they did something that I don't want you to do. They started to miss it. They started to miss the point and the purpose of the gospel. And so I love this church. I love your pastors. I love the people that attend here. And so I say this just trying to remind you of why we do what we do. And so before we jump into the text, let's just pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come here and open your word. Lord, there are so many brothers and sisters that are persecuted all over this world, God. And we we praise you for their faith. God, may this not be a time that we just check out and just kind of listen to what your word says and not allow it to change us. Because I believe every time, God, we open your word that we are inviting you to change us. So God, may this be a time that you change hearts, you rescue souls, you bring people to fall deeper and deeper in love with your son, Jesus. We thank you and praise you. In your name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse one, Paul writes, he says, now brothers. He starts off with talking to Christians. Now brothers, I wanna remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. He's reminding Christians which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. There's so much in this. Man, I could teach on this forever and I won't. But when he says that he wants to remind you, he uses this word. He says that you've taken your stand. That's why we believe. It's the gospel. It's what Christ has done. But then he uses, by this gospel, you are saved if. We don't like if, we like grace. No, it doesn't matter what we do. Yay, you know, it's, it's, it's all about God. 
But he says, if you hold firmly to the word that I preach you. In the Greek, that term for hold firmly is a nautical term. He's using the term that when a boat comes into a dock and they tie a rope around the dock and the boat, it's connected, it's fastened, it's facing that dock. That's what the gospel is for us. It's what he did. It's what he did for us because we could not do it for ourselves. And so he's reminding Christians, that is what you hold firmly on. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then he goes on, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on. You don't keep it to yourself. Don't be that kid that keeps all their toys and doesn't let anyone play. For what I received, I passed on evangelism to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he, was, he ra- was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's a lot with this. But what's cool about that is he makes it known that it's of first importance. Secondly, he says according to the scriptures. Well, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So you know where he's talking from? He's talking about the Old Testament. You know where much of us kind of we have dust in the Old Testament because we don't fully get it and we don't really open it. He's talking about Isaiah, the prophet, who claimed that the Messiah would have to go through certain things, but he wrote these things 700 years before Jesus was even born. He's writing about the psalmist that talked about crucifixion 1,500 years before Jesus was born. And so he was explaining from the Old Testament to a bunch of Jews who became Christians, I want to remind you of the gospel of what your scripture says. I explain that Jesus died for me, that he loves me, that he rose again, all that. And I I talk about that all the time. I I think I say resurrection probably more than any other word other than Jesus. And I want you guys to understand how incredibly important our faith is because it's not like every other faith. We have the only faith where the founder of our religion claimed to be God. And then he did something to back it up. I sit here and and I share my story with you and I I tell you, hey, you know, like this is what I went through. And for some of you, you're going to be like, man, I related with that. It's so funny. I can teach the word of God. I can explain all this stuff. And some of you guys are going to come to me and you're going to say, hey, man, I related with your story. So about that porn thing. Because we struggle. Because we are relying on the flesh and not on the Holy Spirit that the word says that we have inside of us when we trust Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that I don't just believe because I want to, because I'll be honest, I sat in the library, you remember those? When I didn't know Jesus, and I sat there and I studied a bunch of different scriptures, and as I studied scriptures, I read this verse that hijacked my eternity. It was in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it was verse 14. Paul writes, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And I thought, man, if you're going to make up a doctrine, you're going to make up a Bible, you're going to make up a a set of beliefs, you're probably not going to give people a way out in the actual text. Hey, if you just disprove this resurrection, then all of this is ridiculous. In fact, why are we even doing this if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead? We might as well be watching football or playing just with our kids right now. And yet... Paul writes in the text, Holy Scripture, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Let me be really transparent. I took that as, cool, all I have to do is disprove the resurrection. And then over many months, I studied a bunch of different texts. I studied what other religions said about Jesus. You know what's interesting? Every religion seems to have to bring up Jesus. Some carpenter from some town of 350 people. 
But every religion feels like they have to do something with him. And so I started to study about him. I started to study what he said, and I started to realize that our faith is not built on how good we are. It's not built on our morals. And so as I spent time looking and reading different books, and here's the funny thing, because I know what you guys are thinking, some of you. Well, yeah, of course you were studying books. You were studying Christian books, what they say. No, no, no. I was studying what the atheists said, because I was good at that. I spoke atheists. And I, I read what they said, and I was like, wow, why do they feel like they have to do something with Jesus? And I read this verse. And I realized that the entire faith was built on one event. And so, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I read that, I tried to disprove it, and then one day in the library, I realized he rose from the dead. And for some of you, you're like, yay, hallelujah, he rose from the dead. You know what my response was? Damn. And the reason that I responded that way was I was trying to disprove him so much, but if he rose from the dead, supernatural things happen. In fact, God can exist. And if that's true, I'm going to be held accountable for what I've done. And so, I, even though Christians would come and talk to me, whenever they'd bring up the resurrection after this, I would just deflect until that day on June 13th, 2001. If Jesus did what he claimed that he did, if he truly died and rose again, if, if this thing happened in first century Palestine, if all of a sudden people went from... I just want to... Any of you spent a lot of time in church... Any of you spent, like, you can be honest, like, you know, since you were little, that kind of thing, been in church? All right. Something happened in Palestine in the first century where people were worshiping on Saturdays. That was their day of Sabbath and rest. And then overnight, they started worshiping on Sundays. Now, if you've spent some time in the church, you know it's impossible to get a church to do anything quickly. And yet something happened that first century. So much that men and women were willing to give up their lives, preaching that Christ had risen from the dead. Not preaching, hey, go be a good person, spend time in church and highlight your Bible and take a picture on Instagram with your coffee cup. <laughs> Let that sink in. But they, they went and preached that Christ had risen from the dead. And here's the thing, if one of your friends died and you were really upset and then two to three days later you got a text message from them and they asked you to go to lunch, that would weird you out and you would probably tell somebody. And so these men and women experienced something and if he died, if he truly died and rose again, which we unpack a ton and compel, then what he says goes, and here's what he said, John 14, 6, and this is offensive, so get ready. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's offensive, but I can go to Muhammad's grave right now in Mecca, and he lays there dead. Joseph Smith, from the Mormon faith, dead. People that have said a lot of different things, never claimed that they were personally God, and never validated it by the resurrection, and yet Jesus seemed to. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, I believe he has a right to say that. How many of you are baseball fans? Come on, let's be honest. Like 13 of you? Anymore? Any of you baseball fans, not giant fans? <laughs> like four of you. <laughs> All right. Well, back in the 30s, there was a thing called the World Series that the Giants weren't playing in, and it was the Yankees. Anyone a Cubs fan? I'm so sorry. And so, so the Yankees were playing the Cubs, and Babe Ruth, who has his own candy bar, if you've never heard about him, came up to the plate 
In the ninth inning, they were down, and he looked at the pitcher, and then he looked to the center field bleachers, and he pointed to it. The pitcher decided to pitch to him, and he did, and then Babe Ruth struck out, right? No, because it was called the called shot. We still talk about it. What happened? The pitcher pitched it. He hit it 440 feet into the right center field bleachers. And then the Yankees ended up winning the World Series eventually after that. The reason that I bring that up is if he just claimed something that didn't happen, that would just be like on blog fail. That wouldn't really change anything. So let me tell you what Jesus said before his death. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. If he stayed dead, we might as well just pack it up and stop doing this. But if he rose, that means the power of God exists and is in all of those that are willing to accept Christ. Christianity is not based on Jesus' teachings. If you've spent time in the church, you're probably like, what did he just say? You want to pick up a stone. Christianity is not based on Jesus' teachings. There's a bunch of religions that teach a lot of things. Christianity is not built on his teachings. Christianity relies on one event in history, the resurrection. Because let's be honest, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he was just a martyr, and he was a little nuts. But if he rose from the dead, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. When the government attempts to find a counterfeit $100 bill, I mean, this is a big deal. They're always trying to find this counterfeit $100 bill. What they'll do is they'll spend a lot of time looking at a real $100 bill. They don't spend a bunch of time looking at counterfeits. Why? Because when you know what the real thing looks like, as soon as a counterfeit comes along, you're like, fake, not real, not true. And I talk with so many different people via social media and text and in person. And every single person that I talk with worries about secondary issues. Why, could God, why would God allow hell to be so hot? Why would predestination, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. If Jesus is Lord and he died and rose from the dead, then we should trust in what he says. And so my encouragement to you is don't accept counterfeits. Don't allow someone who never died on purpose, and then rose from the dead, dictate how you behave. But yet listen to the God who did something that was so incredible, so cosmic, so unbelievable that the scripture says that the creation yearns for him to come back. I yearn for Jesus to come back. Two Fridays ago, that sucked. And yet our God is still on the throne, and he's still king, and he loves us. So much that he would die personally on a cross for our sin. Paul the Apostle writes in chapter 10 of Romans, verse 9. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me, let me be clear. Some of us have confessed it. Some of us have been baptized. Some of us have spent a lot of time in the church, and yet the default setting of our heart, Martin Luther says, is religion. And we start to try to work our way to God. Jesus didn't come and die so you could look a little bit better. In fact, he talked to some religious people called Pharisees, and he called them whitewashed tombs. They were very religious. They did everything they were supposed to do. And on the outside, they looked beautiful. And on the inside, they were rotting and dead. And so Jesus came to give you life. 
Paul says that if you confess and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. A lot of us intellectually believe. So we believe with our minds. There's intellectual assent. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, but you never really spent a lot of time realizing what a big deal that was. If God raised Jesus from the dead, you can be saved. You can be what he claims that you are when you receive him, which is forgiven. Every single one of us have a sin problem. You know why I know that? Because I have kids. And every single time I look at my kids and I ask them to do something, they want to do the other thing, and I never taught them to do that. I never really want to do what God wants me to do. None of us strive for holiness. Hear me, church. It is by the Holy Spirit that we strive towards God. And so John in chapter 1 of verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what that means? means that all of us have been enslaved to sin, our trespasses, where we've done things against what God wants. And Jesus says, you ain't going out like that. I made a way. And he doesn't continue to call you slave. He calls you son or daughter when you receive the God most high. And so in this time, in this place, I believe that we need to invite people to accept this grace because it is by grace we're saved through faith. And you know who gives us the faith? It's God. And so in this time, in this moment, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads. Just close your eyes and just start to do some work with the Lord. Maybe this is the first time this week that you've started to spend some time with God. Maybe this is the first time all year that you've spent time with God. Maybe this is the first time ever that you've spent time with God. And I believe that the Lord wants to meet you right where you are. I believe he woos you. And so in this moment, in this place, would you allow God to do some work in your soul? I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and there's nothing that important. There's nothing spiritual about the prayer other than we're talking to God. The prayer does not save you. It is the yielding of your will saying, I want to do it the Lord's way. And so a prayer like that goes like this. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that he died on the cross and made a way so I could have a new life. I pray today that I would trust him with my eternity, but also my life. I'm going to stop doing things my way. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change direction. I'm going to follow Jesus. God, thank you that you raised him from the dead. I trust that with all my heart. And I want to be called a son or daughter of yours. With everyone's heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I just want to give us an opportunity to respond. And there's nothing super holy about even doing this. I just want to be able to see what God's done in your life. And so with everyone's heads bowed, everyone's eyes closed, if you decided to pray that prayer, not for the 15th time, not the second time since camp, but for the very first time you said, Lord, rescue me. I want to do it your way. My way is just not working. If you decided to pray that prayer with everyone's heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed, would you just raise your left hand so I can give God praise for you? Hallelujah. Any others? Any others? Raise them up high. Praise Jehovah. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you are a rescuing God. We thank you that you sent your son to die in our place because we cannot do it on our own. Father, thank you for the souls that you've rescued today. God, may they go and tell a friend that brought them, a pastor, a leader, someone in this church, someone that they know that loves you because Christianity is a team sport and we want to walk alongside them. Thank you for the souls that you penetrated today. And God, I pray that you would woo those that just aren't sure yet. We love and praise you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.